0: a Pantry Studio production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Those bright lights of stardom, the dreams and hopes that come with us when we're young, dreams like being a singer, well, those are the things that's worth fighting for. They're the heights that we aspire to rise to and conquer, something that drives many people to get out of bed in the morning. But sometimes, for many in fact, life can throw you one of those curveballs that you didn't see coming, and those dreams fade away like dusk at dawn. They leave us with that fleeting moment that makes us wonder to ourselves, uh, you know, the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Too many of those. When what we think is love comes knocking, it's all too often that we believe that we can't help who we fall in love with, even if it's not especially good for those dreams that we've had. Even if it means the death of those dreams. Or worse, death for us. Oh, but remember that not all is as it seems at first glance. That's another thing. The magic of life can be just that. A mere illusion that is not to be conquered easily. It takes time. Well, if you have it. That can be another illusion. Time. All so often we think we've got all of that in the world, and... Well, that answer is a flat no. These are the Mountain Mysteries. And this is episode number 35, The Night of Nights, The Mountain Mystery of Jessica Lynn Keene. over 24% of the 1.9 billion square acres in america alone the mountains that so many people call home also play host to some of the most staggering mysteries in the world the missing and she said i knew i wasn't there anymore the murdered all my emotions just went blank just like just blank and I still live that today. I think about that so much the days he was in that water. Strange creatures. Whatever it was, that was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now and I don't see anything, I don't wanna go outside. Uh, I mean, it was a, uh, nope, we need to get out of town. Unexplained lights and sightings. It does not look like an airplane. Okay. They come together and then they separate and they just keep doing this all the time. These stories may be strange. They may be sad. They may be odd but they are mysterious. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and now your host, Chris Sloan. Please support us on Patreon. We need your help to keep the Mountain Mysteries coming. Plus, you'll get commercial free three day early access to all episodes of the Mountain Mysteries, plus the Mountain Mysteries Chills and a Patreon exclusive, the Mountain Mysteries Blurs. Not only that, but you'll also get behind the scenes talk about the episodes, discount on the Mountain Mysteries gear, such as t shirts, caps, backpacks, and a lot more. You can find the link to support us on Patreon on our website at themountainmysteriespodcast.com. It's at the very top of the screen second from left-hand icon. Or you can also support us on the Mountain Mysteries on Spotify. You'll see a link at the bottom of the page with support levels from 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. And as well as always, please tell your friends about us. We are The Mountain Mysteries. Look for us on Facebook and please like, follow, and share. Jessica Lynn Keen Jessica was a happy kid growing up. She had bigger-than-life dreams of becoming a singer one day. The sooner, the better she thought. She was one of the Westland High School Cougar Cheerleaders in a small place called Galloway. It's in Ohio. Around 28,000 people call it home there. Jessica was one of the popular kids at school, very popular, as a matter of fact, and she was very well-liked by everyone around her. She had set a lot of goals in her life, One of them was to study zoology in college because she loved animals so much. But all of those dreams and plans would, unfortunately, never come true for the 15-year-old teenager. She almost never fought with her parents and never missed school or cheer practice. By all accounts, she was a very hard, dedicated, and committed worker. And she knew that dedication for hard work, focus, and determination was the way to get what she wanted out of life. However, when Jessica turned 15, all of those things started to change. Seems she had met a boy, an 18-year-old named Sean Thompson, who was the stereotypical bad boy. He was a high school dropout, and some even say that he had committed a few petty crimes. Well, for some reason or another, Jessica became obsessed with Sean. So much so that she even began to skip school just to see him. Well, as you can imagine, one thing led to another and her grades began to drop, and eventually she even quit cheerleading, which was one of her biggest passions. She did that to see Sean more. Well, Jessica's parents, Rebecca and James Keene, didn't exactly like Sean's influence in her life, and she would refuse to break off the relationship. Eventually, Jessica's mother attempted to ban Jessica from going out with this guy until she was able to get her grades back up, but that was very hard to enforce because the teens always seemed to find other ways to meet. The issue became a wedge between Jessica and her parents and it almost seemed like they couldn't be in the same room without some kind of an argument breaking out about this kid. Well, Jessica saw their hatred for Sean as them not wanting her to be happy. But it wasn't hatred. Rebecca and James saw this as their daughter throwing away her entire future for a high school fling. Jessica would even tell her friends that her mother was horrible and that she wished that she could run away, but sometimes she didn't know where to go, so she never would. Would she? We all remember those teen years. Seems like so many of us got things twisted up inside, and it was easy to forget what was really important and who cared after all. The relationship with Sean became destructive to her academics and her home life, so Jessica's parents made the decision to send her to a home for struggling girls. It wasn't a decision that Jessica fought, because she saw this as a vacation from her parents. So, on the 4th of March 1991, Jessica arrived at the Huckleberry House in Jefferson, Ohio, where she was due to spend about two weeks it's where true crime meets the paranormal. Don't miss an episode of The Mountain Mysteries featuring cases of the missing, murdered, and the unexplained all across the mountainous regions of the world. And tune in to The Mountain Mysteries gatherings on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube each Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit us at home at themountainmysteriespodcast.com. The Mountain Mysteries. Learn what all the talk is about. Available on Spotify, Apple, and where podcasts are found. Stay mysterious. It was just a few days after arriving at the home that Jessica had shown massive improvements. She began to be more social, less irritated, and had actually started working hard on school again. Well, it seems like to everyone around her, it seemed as though Sean really was the cause of this little rebellious phase that she had went through. Now that she was away from him, she was rapidly becoming the Jessica that everyone remembered. About two weeks into her stay, on March 15th, She called her boyfriend, Sean, over the phone at the Huckleberry House. That call apparently lasted for quite some time and eventually turned into a very heated argument. The phone call ended with the two breaking up, which left Jessica overwhelmed and sad. Now, you've got to remember back to our teenage years. A breakup like that? Well, that was the end of the world. The sun was going to stop shining, the moon was no longer hanging in the night sky, there were no more birds to chirp and sing. This was the boy she loved, the boy she had changed for, a boy she was fighting with her parents over. Well, to get away from everything, just to clear her head for the evening, Jessica decided that she'd take a short walk to the nearby bus stop and maybe a short trip to a mall that was close by. That mall wasn't too far from the Huckleberry House, and Jessica had been there before, it seems. So, At about 6 o'clock in the evening, Jessica told her friends that she'd be going to the mall to cool off and get some air, and set off for the bus stop. That was the last time anybody saw Jessica Keene alive. Sometime around 11 o'clock that night, the house staff did their rounds to make sure that the girls were in the house and getting ready for bed. But when they got to Jessica's room, well, she was nowhere to be found. So immediately, the staff called Jessica's parents to ask if they had any idea where she was, or to find out if she would ran away to go home. Jessica's parents had no idea what had happened to their daughter, so they called police. Now, at first, the cops wrote this off as a runaway, saying that well, she probably just went out for a late night and that she'd likely be back soon on her own accord, but Rebecca rejected that theory, saying her daughter would never run away and go missing on her own choice. Police asked others who knew Jessica, friends and family and the like, where could she have gone? where Jessica may have went, and all answers pointed only in one direction. Sean Thompson. You guessed it. Well, police had plans to eventually interview Sean, but they still believe she had just ran away to get some air. After all, it wasn't a hard-to-believe idea, seeing her track record of missing school for this kid. Well... Perhaps they had met at the mall so he could try to win her affections back or maybe get together and talk things out. But before police could interview Sean, the worst possible outcome? Oh, that became reality. It was on March 17, 1991, a man was walking through Forest Chapel Graveyard, about 20 miles from the Huckleberry House, when he stumbled upon Jessica Lynn Keene's body. Jessica had been found mostly naked. She had on one sock and a bra that looked twisted and messed with. Police were immediately able to rule Jessica's cause of death as bludgeoning due to the multiple injuries to her head. An autopsy was later able to confirm this as the cause of death, also finding that she had been raped before her murder. Jessica's skull was fractured and her body had many small scrapes, cuts, and breezes. She didn't have any drugs or alcohol in her system at the time of her death, and it was found that it took minimal blows to kill her. But whoever it was that killed her, well, that scumbag didn't stop once she died. More than anything, this was pointing to a crime of passion. The murder weapon was quickly identified as a 70-pound Tombstone that was ripped from a grave at the cemetery and used to strike Jessica in the head. The blow was so hard that the tombstone broke into two pieces, one piece being found near her body and covered in blood. Police could also tell that this was a very drawn out attack. The other of Jessica's socks were found at the entrance of the Foster Chapel graveyard. Footprints that were Jessica's size were found all over the place in the cemetery and even her knee imprints were found behind some of the tombstones, suggesting that she had ducked and was trying to hide. It's believed that Jessica had run naked through a cemetery for quite some time, trying to get behind one of those tombstones and get away from the attacker. While the murder weapon, cause of death, and location of Jessica had all been figured out, all that was solved, there were still a lot of questions Hanging in the air of the minds of everyone who loved her. Why Jessica? What motive did anyone have for taking such a beautiful life out of this world? Why was she targeted? Or was she simply in the wrong place at the wrong time? Well, two things were for certain. One, motive was sexual. Jessica's autopsy did find that she had been raped. But was that the only motive? And if it was, then why would she have been chased throughout the Foster Chapel graveyard and then eventually beaten to death? The other thing police were almost certain of was that this was not a robbery. Jessica still had on all her rings, all of her bracelets, and almost all of her necklaces. Almost. Well, friends and family were really quick to point out one necklace was missing the necklace that was a gold-plated necklace that simply said, Taken. This necklace was a gift to Jessica, a gift from none other than Sean Thompson. Now hang on. Before you jump to conclusions, Jessica may have taken this necklace off when they broke up earlier that day, She may have been so mad at him that she didn't want to remember this. She didn't want that as a reminder, but that wasn't going to stop police from holding on to this potential clue into who took Jessica's life. She was last seen alive at the bus stop around 6 o'clock that evening, which helped police identify the abduction took place before she even made it to the mall that day. The theory that police eventually adopted as the likely timeline said that Jessica Lynn Keene was likely abducted from the bus stop. Maybe she was picked up by someone that she knew and trusted, or maybe, maybe even forced into a car. It is believed that Jessica was held captive in the car for about six hours, while her abducted unclothed and raped her. At some point, Jessica was able to escape and ran in any direction she possibly could, which was the dirt path that led to the Foster Chapel graveyard. And somewhere along that way, she lost that sock. Now, there is a farmhouse close to the cemetery, so Jessica may have been running near towards a light to hopefully seek help and shelter from her attacker. Well, once this attacker, whoever he was, started to catch up to her, Jessica attempted to hide behind the gravestones, which is shown by the knee prints behind them. While trying to escape her brutal attacker in the pitch black of night, it's thought that Jessica ran into a gatepost which knocked her to the ground. And before she could collect herself and get back up, her attacker was able to strike, ripping a 70-pound gravestone out of the ground and striking her in the head, breaking it in half. Jessica's mother had reportedly said, quote, I pray to God this. When she hit that fence, it knocked her out. I'm not revengeful. God has the only right to take someone's life. But if someone does something and gets away with it, They'll do it again. Rebecca said that on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries eight years after Jessica's murder in 1999. She also continued, what they did to her, the fear that Jessica felt, she would do anything to get away. And I can feel her heartbeat running through the cemetery. I can feel the deep breathing she was probably doing when she knelt behind the tombstones. I can hear her praying, and I realized that was the worst thing that I believe anyone could go through. End quote. Once again, police had asked Jessica's parents about Sean Thompson, to which they didn't give him a very kind reference, as you can imagine. Well, to Jessica's parents, Sean was the reason Jessica was gone. It made sense. Sean was a major influence on Jessica. It would not have surprised anyone if she had went to meet with him to try to fix their relationship that evening. And after all, The only piece of jewelry that Jessica had missing was a necklace that he gave her. Well, police were able to track Sean down to speak with him, only to find that Sean wasn't even in Ohio the night of Jessica's death. Sean says that he and some friends took a short trip to Florida during that time. Police asked for documentation of that trip to solidify his alibi, which everyone in the group was able to provide. Even with a solid alibi, police asked Sean to submit DNA to test against the DNA found on the crime scene. And his DNA test came back negative. Sean and his friends were ruled out as suspects, but if not Sean Thompson, then who? All of Jessica's friends were very well behaved. Jessica's body being found 20 miles away now meant police had to wonder if Jessica even knew her killer. Was Jessica simply in the wrong place at the wrong time? Did the killer just see Jessica as an opportunity to abduct and rape a young girl? Well, this made Jessica Keene's death all the harder to solve, and police had to wonder if the attacker would strike again. If this was some kind of a random attack, then what would stop them from doing it again with another young girl? Well, as you can imagine, Jessica's case was heavily picked up on by the media. Jessica's story and face was all over the news, newspapers, and the talk of virtually every FM and AM frequency in town. Crime Stoppers even raised $3,000 in reward money for anyone who gave a tip that led to an arrest. That number would keep growing as different people donated in desperation to get justice for Jessica. Well, even though that reward money was being offered, and everyone in the country knowing Jessica Keene's name, regardless of all that, if Case eventually went cold. In the years to follow, any attack of a young girl within 30 miles would be compared to Jessica's story in attempts to find similarities and identify a suspect. Police would look for patterns or similarities in every case they got their hands on. However, there were never any connections made between any other murder or attack. In many cold cases, DNA will be retested every few years. As that database grows, well, they're hoping for a match, of course. Jessica's case was no different. Every few years, the police on her case would send DNA found at the scene for testing and hopefully find some kind of a match and bring Jessica's attacker to justice. In the late 90s to early 2000s, a law was put in the United States that required all convicted felons of violent crimes to submit their DNA to this database so that if they were ever to reoffend again, well, that would make it a lot easier to catch them. This meant the database began to grow, and grow, and grow. So it was in 2008 the police once again set DNA found at the murder scene of Jessica Lynn Keene for testing. And on March 17, 2008, exactly 17 years to the day after Jessica's body was found, They got a hit. The DNA found at Jessica's crime scene matched an individual who had just been released from prison for another violent crime. His name, Martin Lee Smith Jr., a 51-year-old man at the time and served nine years from 1991 to 2000 for the kidnapping, robbery, and rape of two other girls. He was made to put his DNA in the database in 2000 before leaving prison. And eight years later, he matched to another kidnapping, rape, and now murder. Well, the two crimes that he had served time for happened before Jessica's murder. He was out on bond at the time of her attack. Well, when he was questioned. Martin Lee Smith did confess to the entirety of the crime. He told police that he did not plan to murder anyone that night. Smith said he had went out with the plans to kidnap and rape a young girl, and he had planned to let her go after the fact, but his plans quickly changed when Jessica attempted to escape. He knew that if she got away that she would tell the police, and she had enough evidence to get him sent back to prison. She had enough evidence to have him thrown under the prison. If he would have been caught reoffending while out on bail, he likely would have been sentenced significantly harsher. So he decided to kill her instead. To avoid the death penalty, Martin Lee Smith pled guilty to all charges placed against him. Consequently, Smith was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison, with a possibility of parole in 2038. Well, he'll be in his 80s then, if he lives that long, and it's unlikely that parole will ever be granted. This would bring Jessica some semblance of justice but it'll never bring her back. Her sister Heather said that she tries to imagine Jessica as being older. Said that she dreams about it. Envisions what her life would have been like. But no matter what, Jessica will always be Heather's little sister. Jessica's family has since given her a proper funeral and burial, as well as a memorial where her life was taken on that night that night of nights a cross that says Jessica Lynn Keene stands at the entrance of Foster Chapel Graveyard it's said that people often leave flowers and gifts in honor of the memory of Jessica Lynn Keene remember to visit us at home at www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com Get in on the conversation on our Discord server, and if you can, please, support us on Patreon. We need your help now more than ever to keep these stories coming. Don't forget, we have the Mountain Mysteries Chills each Thursday, the Mountain Mysteries podcast episodes every Friday, and, of course, if you're a Patreon member, you can also get the Mountain Mysteries Blurs. It's a Patreon-exclusive event. I'm Chris Sloan for the Mountain Mysteries. Stay Mysterious. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more.